1: Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan. Today I'm joined by Louise. Hi. And Noah. Hi, y'all. Today we're going to be discussing a recent Supreme Court decision and the broader environment for labor under the Trump administration. A couple of weeks ago now, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, companies can bind their employees to contracts, requiring them to go through arbitration rather than be able to file class action lawsuits against the company for things like wage theft or the other sorts of ways in which companies might screw their workers. This is bad, and we want to talk about it.
2: Yeah, so real light stuff.
1: Yeah, it's... um Epic Systems
3: v. Lewis or How the Gorsuch Screwed Labor, it basically says that workers can't if, – if they have agreed to an arbitration clause in their contract, uh, they cannot then file class action lawsuits for any violation of federal labor standards, be it wage theft, be it um, discrimination, whatever. And um, the, the way that the case was decided was completely partisan, mm-hmm. 5 4 uh, Justice Gorsuch wrote the opinion for the majority and according to the article I read about this decision, took the unusual step of elaborately rebutting the dissent uh, as he announced the majority opinion.
2: Mm -hmm. So real classy stuff. So wait, wait, I feel like we need to back up a little bit. So what's the difference between an arbitration clause and class action lawsuit? So start there.
1: Arbitration effectively requires employees to go one-on-one against the company if they want to challenge something that happened to them as an employee. Whereas a class action lawsuit, you have the power of numbers. You have however many employees were affected by this policy or this whatever it may be. They are on your side in the lawsuit and that helps in defraying the cost of suing a large corporation. Right. And can
3: in, and can increase the penalty yeah. depending on the on the size of the lawsuit. Arbitration instead means that the company I I don't remember who under current law gets to appoint uh, the arbitrator, but if I remember correctly, there are a number of firms famous around the country for providing this kind of services to major corporations, police departments, city governments, and what have you, that they they are literally arbitrators. That is okay. what their business is. That's their industry. And they're supposed to be impartial judges, except that, They get paid to resolve these cases, and I don't think they get hired again if they tend to resolve them in favor of the workers.
2: Yeah, there's that. So, so not only is arbitration um, directly monetized by having third party system or third party companies and everything set up to as as arbitrators, but it, it very much so is preferred by corporations and anybody powerful because it ensures that you have the overwhelming power over the person that disagrees with you. And I can't remember exactly where this came up, but a lot of, you know, with Me Too and everything, this has come up as, as a criticism for a lot of um, powerful people is they'll take um, people who say, yes, this person sexually assaulted me or harassed me and say, OK, well, we're going to go to arbitration. Um, this is the preferred method by corporations and people powerful. So therefore, you can kind of assume off the bat that it's not great. Unless you have something to lose, arbitration
1: cases often stay quiet. They stay behind yeah. mm-hmm. closed doors. Um, often th- bound by NDAs,
2: non-disclosure
3: yeah. agreements. Too. Yes,
1: that's true. Um, just to sort of broaden, um, they're favored not just by companies exploiting their workers, but by companies who have consumers that might sue them. I, yeah. Recently, I think there was a case enabling, like nursing homes to have arbitration clauses in their residential contracts with yeah. their elderly residents. Yeah. So that if yeah. they want to,
2: it enables abuse.
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: That's what it is so, to cut to, to cut in on you there. No, it no, just no. it really Thank does. You. Like, and that's the worst part about these arbitration things is you can go to your employer and say, hey, you're really you're breaking the law. You're doing something illegal. And in order to get any kind of compensation from that, or even just get what you're owed, you have to go through some process that's inherently shady and suspect and overbalanced towards the corporation. Mm-hmm. And this is true for consumers. And now, according to this Supreme Court decision, workers have the same—this is their only recourse.
3: Well, that's the thing, right? That these clauses were already in contracts. Right. Uh, corporations, companies are already forcing people to accept these contracts. Right. But now, what the Supreme Court has done is essentially remove any other source of remedy. Yeah. If you're an employee who works for a place that that is violating these standards— you now have no other recourse. It was one thing, I mean, it was bad enough that so many people in this country work under arbitration contracts, but now the Supreme Court has essentially said that they are forced to work yeah. under those contracts.
1: And I think the specific case that led to this Supreme Court decision was an instance of wage theft. I, I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly the um, mm-hmm. company the biggest, involved. Yeah, it the was, biggest
2: type of theft. Yeah. overwhelmingly mm-hmm. in the U.S., wage theft, and, and nobody the, ever talks about it, b- sorry. except us.
1: And
3: the biggest form of economic torture that gets inflicted upon American people, people yeah. stealing their wages.
1: And I've seen it written that, like, this decision effectively legalizes wage theft. If you're yeah. a large enough company, you can pick off employees one by one because you're Which not is... going to have a court, a lawsuit against you that would stop the process wholesale. Yeah,
2: it's and, awful. Mm- it's and if you really want history.
3: if you want evidence of the fact that it legalizes wage theft, how about we look at a case that's actually going on right now through the courts, where a certain fast casual chain of Mexican food restaurants—I <laughs> don't know if I can say one with recent uh, problems in its supply chain—let's put it that way—where <laughs> they had a class action lawsuit against them for, I believe, it was ten thousand employees who were being forced to work off or who were yeah no they were being coerced into working off the clock because the chain the corporate part of the chain gives its stores so little payroll that managers literally can't staff you may have heard you know this kind of problem on our on last week's episode about retail go figure so managers were doing this and 10,000 workers have sued the company over this and now the chain is claiming that uh, I believe it is 2,814, so a substantial, a fifth of the lawsuit, closer to a third really, aren't eligible to be in on this because they signed an arbitration contract. And the judge in that case actually sort of took a preemptive step and asked all the parties to the case to submit new briefs. In light of the decision, basically admitting that, you know, this this changes everything.
2: So cannot really begin to explain how frustrating it it is because you have a company that has all the power in the world and is breaking the law. And it's <laughs> I like I can't get over how this is not a solution. Like arbitration is not a solution at all. It's a barely a slap on the wrist. For, for these companies.
1: Just to give another example, I was talking to David on last week's show about his driving for Uber and Lyft. And one big lawsuit that will be, uh, I don't know if it's actually the lawsuit has been filed, but one complaint that will be changed by this decision is that a lot of Uber and Lyft drivers had made the case that they were wrongfully classified as independent contractors rather than employees mm-hmm. of these companies. And as such, they weren't entitled to things like health insurance or the various things that employers are required to provide that Uber and Lyft are not by virtue of the fact that their workers are classified as independent contractors.
2: No. Yeah, it's real fun. And then I, I saw an article also, you know, related to this arbitration that that a uh, certain um, DIY store, hardware store, is forcing most of its staff to sign arbitration clauses, like additions to their employment contracts, or they won't get their holiday bonuses. Nice. Like, nice. Yeah, it's in and I one of the comments I heard about this case after it was decided um was that oh, this is a great victory for employers. Employers everywhere should immediately Make all their employees mm-hmm. sign arbitration clauses. Like we, we tend to think of Supreme Court decisions as somewhat esoteric, A- apolitical, apolitical, mm-hmm. and just not really generally affecting everyday people. Okay. because they're 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 loftier goals. But we can see in this case that there's immediate consequences for everyday people. Yeah, and they're not good consequences. Unless bad you own... Yeah, they're yeah. bad consequences. Unless you own a company that employs thousands of people or or management and company, this is awful. Mm-hmm. Like, this is really, really terrible. And Supreme Court decisions don't get overturned very often. Right. Because... They've heard this case once. The next case that comes up and says, hey, really, guys, this isn't right. We shouldn't do this. They're not going to hear it because they say, oh, we've already decided this. Well, yeah,
3: right. Precedent. And to be clear, the reason that that happens, I've I've read a number of Supreme Court opinions. I'm talking about most of the tech in educational cases. A lot of the reason that that happens is precisely the perception you're talking about. This idea that. Supreme Court justices are apolitical, that they're deciding finer points of law, that they're tweaking the constitutional fabric of the nation. They're calling balls and strikes, as our current chief justice memorably put it uh, when he was prevaricating before Congress about his judicial (laughs) views. In, In this case, I think the thing that bothers me the most about this decision is, again, this isn't an unknown phenomenon. Corporations were already requiring people to sign these contracts. What this decision is doing is running up the score. And so in that way, it's, it's almost kind of perfect that Gorsuch wrote the opinion for the majority because I thought that I had seen entitled, arrogant writing from a Supreme Court justice. But I had not seen anyone who so clearly is uh, he is fully aware that he is a servant to the powerful. He knows it in every... It it shines through in every clause of his sentences, and yet he enjoys it. (laughs) This is a man, I can't even... This had to be a child who hated the mercy rule. Like, it, it's got to be somebody who thought, oh, yeah, just because my team is winning, a, uh, you know, 10 0 in the seventh doesn't mean that we should stop playing. I want to run up the score on them. And that's all he's ever done with his career.
1: When you call him a servant of the powerful, I think it's fair to say that he owes his seat on the Supreme Court. To the powerful. I oh, don't absolutely. remember mm-hmm. the exact figure of like how many millions of dollars were contributed to the cause of getting Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. I-
3: yes, <sighs> because the, that is yet another thing that in our political landscape is a huge difference between the two parties. For the last 40 years, Republicans have understood that appointments to the Supreme Court are fundamentally political and that you appoint people who will enshrine your political views in the constitutional fabric of the nation. And Democrats keep finding the best qualified jurist and hope that they can just swing one over on the Republicans by, I don't know, writing mean New York Times op-eds about them (laughs) or something. It's Um, a mystery.
1: It's broader even than the Supreme Court, because I think you see a real push by Republicans right now to get federal court positions filled by yeah. their kind mm-hmm. in a way that <laughs> it's a good way to put they it, had prevented kind. obama from through various yes. procedural means that don't really matter right now i don't yeah. want to get yeah. into the details of but
3: they they understood that they 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 understand that they're fighting dirty they mm-hmm. they get that very much so. and they knew that they could afford to wait on their haunches as long as they kept those spots empty
1: i want to go back For a bit to like case itself and just talk about when you sign an employment contract, how many people actually read those details that they're signing? Because I remember getting like a 10 page packet of things and I maybe glossed over it, but it's not something I paid too much attention to. At the time, because uh, say this was my first job, you know? Right. Even
2: if you pay attention to it and understand the terms that you're signing to, what power do you have to change it? Mm -hmm. It's like trying, you know, clicking the I agree button to your terms and agreement on iTunes. You can't do anything about it. There's nothing they can do because they have all the power. Mm -hmm. They can say, oh, well, I guess you really don't need that job after all. I'll just find somebody else. The individual
1: worker who has Mm -hmm. any sort of real say over his contract is very rare. Extremely rare. Yes.
3: But of course, I happen to have a friend who was in that situation. So I'm going on about how, well, first of all, that's if they hand you the full contract. True. Because several years into my employment history, I discovered that I had never actually seen the entirety of my contract, that a copy of that had not been provided to me. I had been given a shortened version that pretty much spelled out my obligations to my workplace, but not vice versa, really. And most of that was superseded by a handbook, essentially. Yeah. And then, finally, after a year-long fight, we were able to get to see our contracts, and the attitude from, effectively, our bosses was, they've been here all along. <laughs> you know, you could have asked to see them at any time, and it's this is the four-page thing I signed. This is not the 50-page thing that includes all of the legal information and all of the other things yeah. that where you somehow these always come up when you're going to fire.
1: Basically. I think in this instance and in these examples you have a perfect case of why the argument that all this is voluntary. Everybody, right. you know, is signing up, they know what they're signing up for is a total lie.
2: Yeah, it's it's baloney. The the idea employment in the US and capitalism in general works on the principle that two equal parties equally enter to into a contract together that has never in the history of capitalism been the case there's always somebody with power and influence and money to do so uh, to to wield that power and somebody who Needs a job or yeah. needs to do it. There's there's winners and loo- losers in capitalism, and it's always framed such that the capitalist wins. Yeah.
3: Even even the language we used to talk about it, uh, pushing laws that are anti-union and anti-workplace democracy. That's right to work. Pushing right. things that allow employees to fight uh, employer. Sorry to fire you <laughs> at any time. That's at-will employment. When it's employers can cut your hours at any time or schedule you for small amounts here and there, perhaps as a favorite management tactic to get you to quit. Those are <laughs> flexibility and flexible
1: hours right. kind of things. Yeah, The language is very much a choice. They mm-hmm. People know what they're doing when they try to obscure reality with those words and those terms instead of saying just what this is, which is yeah. a use of power over other people.
3: Absolutely.
2: And that's what arbitration is, you know, to bring it back to the point, Mm -hmm. is it's this in your mind, arbitration is this fair and just third party that comes in and says, well, this guy was right, this guy was wrong. And that's not really what's going on. They might say, well, this guy's right or this guy was wrong, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. And he can continue to do so because there's no consequences.
3: But who's the you in your mind? Because to me, I don't think anybody actually thinks that. I think the companies that employ these services are perfectly aware that they're hiring somebody who's going to rule for them. The arbitrators are perfectly aware right. of what, where their money is coming from.
2: Well, yeah, but that's in terms of air quotes general perception of it. Mm. And the lie that has been sold to the public in general is that just like at will employment means that your boss can fire you at any time. But technically, it also means that you can leave at any time. That's not really how it works.
3: Right. I guess what I wonder here is if anybody actually thinks that an arbitration process is something that is fair and impartial, because (laughs) I would have to imagine that if you're an employee, unless you are the absolute brown noser of your workplace, (laughs) You are aware that that is not going to favor you. And if you're one of the bosses, you are perfectly aware that it's going to favor you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it there. It wouldn't be the option you go to.
1: Well, I wonder almost how much people in general think about arbitration clauses when they're a lot of this sort of happens out of sight, out of mind, I think. Because while we can say there are plenty of people who are being abused by their employers and see that, there are are a lot of people for whom work, they just take it for granted that that Mm -hmm. happens. And they don't even consider the possibility that they might sue their boss. Exactly. They don't
2: think of it as a tool in their arsenal that they could use. So instead of actually getting justice for, for your wage theft or harassment or whatever, you just quit. Like right. that's arbitration is like this secret weapon that's like, oh, well, you do want compensation f- mm-hmm. for the the problems you have. Well, there's arbitration
3: to artfully or inartfully, as the case may be, <laughs> bring it back to the theme I'm essaying here is more reason why this is running up the score. Yeah. Workers already don't think about these processes because they have no time to or energy to or ability to or money to. When a class action lawsuit breaks, it's huge news because it means enough people got together to do that. And now... This case even takes that away from them. And our favorite justice made sure to include that little note of Congress can change this requirement anytime they want. You know, Congress could do it
1: fully aware.
2: That they never will.
1: Exactly. We would like to say here that this is the only problem facing workers under the Trump administration. But unfortunately, it isn't. And we will get to those other ones after this break.
0: You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined... Still by Lou.
2: (laughs) Thanks. Hi. We're still here.
1: Noah. Still here. Um, We've been talking about a recent Supreme Court decision that effectively ruled that workers will be... Well, yes, but (laughs) more specifically that they can't join into class action lawsuits against their employer if their employer has these arbitration clauses into their contract, which force workers to go through arbitration. In order to get compensation for the wrongs their employers do to them, whether that be wage theft or other things.
2: Discrimination, harassment. Yes. The whole slew. Yeah.
1: Um, Everything under the sun. majority decision in that case was penned by Neil Gorsuch, who is the most recent member of the Supreme Court, appointed by Donald Trump and... um, Noah was, is very angry already just <laughs> by the mention growling. of Neil Gorsuch's name because, as everybody knew before he became a Supreme Court justice, oh gosh, right? Neil Gorsuch is an enemy to working people.
2: He is. And like his most famous case before he got to the Supreme Court was the so-called frozen trucker case.
3: Oh, boy. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, well, so Noah, start us off. What was the frozen trucker case? Try to Deep contain breath. your rage.
3: Deep breaths. Count to ten. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, here's what happened. This is a driver for a trucking company and he discovers that the uh, he's he's got a truck with a trailer attached and he discovers that in the below 0 temps that he's in, his trailer's brakes are locked and and they won't come on. He can't stop the trailer. So, he calls the road service. This is in a late January night. He calls his company's road service. And he's told, okay, we're going to send the car, basically hang in there. He then discovers that the heat in the truck's cabin has broken down. So he falls asleep. He wakes up two hours later. He can't feel his feet and his torso is numb. Now, I'm no expert on hypothermia, but this seems like a life-threatening thing. So he does the smart thing and calls road service again. He's told to hang in there. We're sending service car or whatever. We'll get you out of that jam. And 30 minutes later, he did the only thing he could do to preserve his life, which is since the truck still worked, he unhitched the trailer, got in the truck, and against his supervisor's express orders to stay with the trailer, drove away, thereby probably remaining alive. The trucking company responded by firing him for abandoning his trailer, as they put it. And he replied by saying that, I forget under which particular law, he had the right to, and this is going to become important, to, quote, refuse to operate a vehicle if operating the vehicle would cause danger to him or to the company is the second part of that clause. So to establish, like, have I made clear what's yeah. at stake in this case? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: the guy, he either drives away and leaves a trailer behind because he can't operate it or he dies. Right. He, has, he faces the very real possibility of life-threatening injuries or death. Yeah, basically mm-hmm. that's
3: it. His, his third option, by the way, and this is going to come up, which is why I'm mentioning it here, is that he could have just continued to drive with the trailer with no working <laughs> brakes, apparently.
2: Uh, those and are good uh, options. I love those options. Amazing. Fantastic. So, Uh, So the company responded by firing. So first of all, the company, that's not good. If you're putting your workers in danger and you're saying, oh, well, you weren't willing to risk life and limb, literally, to do your job, well, then that's too bad, too bad on you. Like, no, that's not cool. Number one. Number two, what did Gorsuch say?
3: Well, Ryan, do you have? No. no.
2: Well,
1: (laughs) I don't know. So she's saying everything I want to say. Fair (laughs)
3: enough. (laughs) yeah um i'm I'm literally just here for the Gorsuch hits, so <laughs> it's the decision ultimately to to be clear there is one bright light here, which is that the court that this came before did decide that the driver had been fired wrongfully, and I believe he was ultimately compensated but uh We need to talk about Neil Gorsuch here because his dissent was basically after saying during oral argument, we don't legislate. That's not our job. Our job is not to add words that aren't already in the statute. His entire dissent hinged on the idea that refusing to operate literally only meant not driving and that operating literally only meant driving, that there was no other way to interpret that, that apparently you had to
1: use- All the truck or none of it.
3: Yeah, basically. (laughs) But that's the thing, he didn't go there. He could have gone there. He could have said, what is the vehicle in this case? Is it the truck and the trailer? Is it just the truck? What's the deal? Instead, no, he chose to focus laser sharp just on the verb and-
2: Ryan, you might be a better lawful thinker, law mind, legal mind than Neil Gorsuch. It's encouraging, guys. I think
3: anyone in this room (laughs) is a better legal thinker than Neil Gorsuch. But anyway, so this is the kind of stuff that he wrote. These aren't in order, but he said things like someone at the company gave him two options. He could drag the trailer carrying the company's goods to its destination, an illegal and maybe sarcastically offered option. Or he could sit and wait for help to arrive. A legal, if unpleasant, option. Keep in mind, this is, the adjective unpleasant is being used to ascribe life-threatening. The trucker chose none of the above, and I would like to remark that none and above are capitalized as if he's writing a standardized test question <laughs> <laughs> instead of, you know, a decision that, like, affects people's lives.
2: Right. So wait, let's go back. Noel, i give you two options. Your options are you work for me, or you jump in with Alligators. Now, legally, you only have two options. I don't know. This makes it no sense. Isn't, isn't just, the option
3: that by working, that in my work for you, I have to jump into the alligators? Something like that. Or, or my or other choice don't is like. You
2: work for me and you. I, I think
1: this allegory has
2: gone off. Rails, it's <laughs> it's
3: very quickly. Right. We're be with this. Uh, the <laughs> brakes have. You might say the brakes have fallen off it. Oh. <laughs> nice but anyway. Place. Um, No, so he says that. He says the company expressly permitted him to sit and remain where he was and wait for help. He has some digression about what it would be like if a boss told an employee that he can either operate an office computer as directed or not. He closes that paragraph off with good luck. And then he did this in the Epic Systems v. Lewis decision, too, as I mentioned in the last one. And he always does this. This is like a hallmark, apparently, of Gorsuch's style. Maybe the Department of Labor would like this law. Maybe Congress would, and I'm not kidding, this is the verb he uses, festoon us someday with this law. Again, this is a man who is so far up himself (laughs) that he is incapable of, he cannot not be fascinated by what he thinks is his own intelligence.
1: Feels incredibly beholden to the law as an abstract, as an entity that he cannot betray, so much so that he can't use his common sense. And well, not his just humanity. that, but,
2: but as Noah said in the last section, he very much so is beholden to the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And he's going to twist any way he can. Just like Roberts does any way he can, the words in front of him in order to get the outcome he wants or moreover, the outcome his employers want, which at this point, let's just be honest, is is these
1: frozen truckers. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I guess so. So just to reiterate, Noah, all of this case happened before Neil Gorsuch. Mm -hmm.
3: It was extremely well known. There are articles all over the place talking about what a detraction this is, about his judicial temperament or whatever.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I, I specifically remember during Neil Gorsuch's hearing before the Senate that this case came up and he was grilled on it well, he was <laughs> given some soft, Lightly
3: sautéed. Yeah,
2: light, light, lightly sautéed about this case. And he just said, oh, no, that, that was the different legal thing. I'm very much so for the working person. And was this the first case he's had before him regarding labor laws and, and working people? And he very obviously does exactly what we expected of him, which is screw the worker.
3: I didn't think I could have a lower opinion of this man. And I didn't pay attention to his confirmation hearings because I knew he'd be confirmed. Right. Um, so I didn't know that he'd said that. Yeah. I did not know it was possible to reach this far down.
2: Yep. Yeah. He, he promised to be like, oh, no, I'll, I'll follow the law. I'll, I'll support the little guys and everything. I mean, I guess you're a little guy if you own only one company and only have like net worth of $10 million. You must be the little guy.
1: I think to broaden the point from just Neil Gorsuch, because hey, we could go on for that for the rest of <laughs> Absolutely. this hour. But I think it's <coughs> worth noting that when Donald Trump celebrates getting a conservative Supreme Court justice, when Fox News puts that big graphic of his achievements, they, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch is right near the top. This is what they're celebrating. Right. Yep. They are celebrating a guy who will rule against workers whenever given the possibility.
2: Exactly. Well, and Ryan, you sent an article because Noah just mentioned how Gorsuch says, oh, well, the labor department, they can address this issue. They can right. create com- some kind of rules to address this. Ryan, you sent an article around that was talking about how, go ahead and explain yeah. it. <laughs>
1: no, I've made this point on a past episode, but the labor department will not always be in control of allies to labor. Um, And currently it's in control of people who thought that a rule allowing employers to pool and then take their employees' tips would be a good idea. This was proposed by the Labor Department under Trump as a— So
2: people who shouldn't be doing this, period. Right. Yeah.
1: It was a change to an Obama-era regulation that had regulated tip pooling or maybe even outlawed it. And it was quickly pointed out that this would lead to obvious wage theft because, as we noted in the last segment, wage theft is a rampant problem as is. And there was a study that said over the course of a year, this would result in $6 billion in tips ending up in bosses' hands instead of, say, waiters' hands. Jesus Christ. Because they are only legally required to pay workers the minimum wage if their tips don't Get there, and the justification was that oh, this wouldn't happen. But the Labor Department itself tried to put out an analysis, and their data found roughly the same finding. They found again that bosses would, in large part, steal these tips when given the opportunity, and they buried that analysis. They said, (laughs) "Ignore that." Yeah, and there there was (laughs) no. This is (laughs) owned ourselves by our own logic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there was a lot of backlash, and while we talk a lot that current administration won't be shamed out of doing the things they want, they actually were shamed out of doing this. There was a compromise reached. And the new rule includes languages, preventing bosses from right. skimming off that top. But yeah. this is what they wanted to do. They
2: think, like, the bosses would self-regulate or something? Like, what, yes. what in the world were they thinking? 100%
1: they I've, thought that. Well, I've seen it argued that, uh, well, any worker who sees this is just going to work for the place across town. But the idea no, that all the places that, in oh, town God. might be doing this practice, that... 16-year-olds might not be entirely aware that it's happening to them, never occurs to people who love the free market.
3: Oh, my gosh. We literally just talked about this five minutes ago. Yes, Ah. and hold that thought about 16-year-olds because that's coming up in another regulation that we're going to talk about. But So this compromise had to include specific language saying that the employer cannot hold those tips That tip pooling can't include supervisors, managers, or owners. Gosh, owners have to be specifically excluded from this, and that tip pooling could only be done if you are paying not the tipped minimum wage, which is so much lower, but the non-tipped minimum wage. Right.
2: And again, just to reiterate this: this was the labor department, mm-hmm. the people who are supposed to be supporting labor and everything like, at least nominally. Mm-hmm. Th- this, this is what the rules they came up with is: yes, go ahead, just wholesale steal from your employees. Do that. That's great. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh my gosh. Well, and the and the ah. the worst part is that they sold this rule as, and they're selling the fact that the compromise happened. Mm-hmm. And Ryan, yeah, do. You- where you're going with this? I think we're on the brainwave. Do you know
1: where <laughs> you're going with this?
3: Okay. <laughs> they sold this tip-pulling rule as a way to help non-tipped workers, and they're selling right. the compromise as hurting them.
1: That is where they, I was going to go. Yes. But. They
3: came up with an idiotic rule. Mm-hmm. They got shamed into weakening right. it, they, and they're still trying for a They out of it. They
1: cannot acknowledge that they are serving the interests of bosses and owners because nobody likes that. So at every opportunity, conservatives and the Gorsuch's of the world will try (laughs) to frame their pro-boss initiatives as being secretly pro-worker if only you dumb workers were smart enough to (laughs) see the logic here.
2: Yeah, basically. That's one, just one example of, of how the Trump administration has deliberately worked against workers. Mm -hmm. What else have they done? Oh,
3: boy. Well,
1: you had mentioned the 16-year-olds as being a nice segue. Um, Recently, they, I don't know if it's been passed yet or just proposed, a deregulation that would allow for those under 18, I think, to work with heavy machinery, just like the good old days.
3: So to work longer with heavy machinery. Currently, they're only allowed to work one hour a day, which great country we live in. But now we're going to allow them to work longer than that. Now, I do believe this is proposed. I don't think it's gone through yet because there are several members of Congress who have pointed out, rightly, that this is stupid. And the official response from the Labor Secretary is that the, and I quote here, theory, is that (laughs) it would be better for these kids to learn to operate this heavy machinery when they're 17 years old. As opposed to waiting until they're 18, because apparently when you hit 18 and you become a legal adult Mm -hmm. for everything except drinking, suddenly your mind just automatically becomes smarter. Look, I teach for a living. 16 and (laughs) 17-year-olds are the people I end up having to interact with on a daily basis. If I saw one of them operating a forklift, I would run as far as I could in a zigzag pattern away from it. It surprised me that they're even allowed to work with heavy machinery in the first place. Yeah. But the fact that we're extending it is, on a, is is just incredibly dumb on a number of levels. And it's not even the only regulation about child labor they're looking at rolling back. The EPA is looking at rolling back a regulation on how long children can handle pesticides.
1: Ah,
2: Oh, boy. What is the purpose of that? Why? I guess
1: the case they would make is that this will open up new job opportunities for 16 and 17-year-olds. And circularly, it would then open up the opportunity for... Their employers to pay them less because right. they are that sixteen exactly and seventeen. They're yeah. living with their parents. They no. don't need a living wage.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you exactly hit it right.
3: You mean they didn't right just enough. write Bill's character across a piece of paper and slide it across?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you, you, now you get like this unpaid internship at sixteen to go work the combine. Yep, I don't, I don't you like drive the
3: harvester. You're around like they've they've unbanned DDT and now it's just all in there. Oh my
2: gosh! Uh, this and is cheery. Let's oh, and we're not going. done. Yeah, we're c- not Let's done. keep going. Yeah. Let's let's get in even deeper in this depression cycle.
3: So we're talking about heavy machinery. Heavy machinery often leads to injuries. Clever segue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are y'all familiar with the troubles that OSHA has faced since we decided to just destroy our labor infrastructure?
2: Yeah. Ish. In that they Explain are. Explain
1: for the yeah. listeners who might not be.
3: Okay, so OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, you might have their posters you somewhere have in your posters. workplace. You should. Some of us may have seen those posters disappear for a couple months, despite the fact that everything else got moved around our <laughs> workplace. But anyway, they're at the point where they have... Um, I don't know how they calculate this, but they could only visit every worksite in the United States every 159 years.
2: Neat. Is that bad?
3: i can't do the math on this as quickly as i would like to that's what that's 2009 go back 150 years that's 1859 do i have that right sure so if they inspected a work site now right Mm -hmm. the last time i mean there was no osha then but the last time they would have been able to inspect it would be before the civil war for context and they're kind of a necessary agency their work is in protecting workers employees from unsafe and hazardous workplaces. And they were already slashed to the bone before this administration began. Mm -hmm. And now it's even worse. There's five committees that advise OSHA that are gone. Three of them cannot convene. They don't have a quorum. Too many members' terms have expired and the president has not seen fit to even do the decency of replacing them with people more amenable to his agenda. One of them, every member's term has expired. There are literally no people on it. Cool. And the fifth one, everyone got fired on it. It's a volunteer (laughs) gig, and they all got emails saying, hey, thank you for your service. Please go away now. Four of them hadn't even met since 2016, and one of them had not even met since 2017.
2: But think how much money Trump is saving by not having OSHA committees that he can spend on warplanes that don't work.
3: Yes, and that catch on fire. But,
2: yeah, <laughs> that's um, neither here nor there.
3: But this is the, the thing is the the seriousness of this, and I'm gonna be the numbers guy for a second here. In 2016, 5,200 people died at work, and 2.9 million suffered some kind of serious work-related illness injury or disability. That's That's almost 1% of the country's population. And think about the fact that those are the ones that OSHA can report on. We probably don't know what the real figures are on these things. I mean, we've seen how the administration likes to handle death counts.
1: (laughs) Well, Uh. even on this subject, they specifically like move the death count deaths at work count from OSHA's website to like a more hidden corner of that because they like have to publish these figures, but they...
2: (laughs) They don't have to do it in a place you can find. Exactly. Yeah.
3: They can put it behind like four different links and whatnot.
2: Nothing about this episode has been cheery. Mm Nope. But that's a really tragic number, especially considering just the general climate beyond work about the people's access to healthcare and the fact that you really can't get healthcare unless you're working. Can't afford it. And then now some states require work for Medicaid or any
3: other form of government assistance. Yeah, you can't do that.
2: There's no help for you whatsoever. So you're doing everything you can to survive. Your job kills you, maims you, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you just have to roll with it. There's no recourse. Well,
3: or you can go through arbitration.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You can do (laughs) arbitration now. Yeah. I mean, Neil
3: saved you that option. You know, it's not like you don't have any recourse. Freaking Neil.
2: yeah all right and anything any other cheery news there Noah
3: really all right we're going through with this
2: <laughs> cool what's um, the worst one
3: well there's also actually this it it's not the least objectionable one, but it kind of the true impact of it kind of flew under the radar or it did for a couple of days before everybody realized what this meant and then quite rightly just lambasted it they also um so under the obama uh under the obama era
0: mm-hmm.
3: um Federal contractors, companies that wanted to be federal contractors, could be audited for labor standards, for how are they complying with the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act, that kind of thing. And the administration would pick the metrics that they would analyze, which is, if you're familiar with other episodes that we've talked about, you know, your metrics are always chosen by your boss. And the federal government is the boss of these, of these companies, so it's getting to choose how they measure them. Mm-hmm. Well that regulation got rolled back. So now companies can choose how they're analyzed by the federal government. This includes things like pay gaps. So under the Obama era, it was a mandatory thing. You had to report what the pay gap is, the average pay for a man and the average pay for a woman in your company. Companies don't have to report that data if they don't feel like it anymore.
1: And more to the point, the Obama administration would end federal contracts with companies where that gap was too large, right? Mm-hmm. right?
3: Exactly. Or at least they said they would. Yeah. I believe there's at least one case where one of them got away, but not the point. Now we're basically saying not only is that not not only are we okay with you doing that. We're not even going to ask you if you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're we're going to let you choose. We're we're going to let you tell us what's up, which is and I also while researching for this episode and for a future one, I also found that there's a self-audit program on things like wage theft. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to this Epic Systems v. Lewis ruling, the Department of Labor has a pilot program where employers can self-audit on their wage theft cases. That's
2: going to go over real well. Doesn't seem great.
3: No, it's not. It's this idea that apparently, because owners are, because they're job creators, as we've talked about, because they're they're cult-like figures, they're minor tutelary deities, right? If you just let them... If if you just let them fly free, they will be moral about things and they will they will choose to self audit. They will take the blame when it's fair.
2: So let's see, the Trump administration has been in control for what? Sixteen months now? Seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And they've yep. done all this all these great things so far. Right. Yep. That's good job guys.
1: I think More broadly, we can talk about, you know, Trump was, he won the election on the basis of talking about how he would rail against the elites of society. Mm -hmm. And now that he has power, he has used that to embolden the elites of society, the people Mm -hmm. who sign your paycheck. Yeah. All
3: the people he comes from, ultimately. Yeah. The people, I mean, not to mention him again, but a certain Supreme Court Justice's mother was the EPA administrator under Reagan and was famous for gutting regulations, which is what your job was if you were the EPA administrator under Reagan, (laughs) until she did her job so well that Reagan disavowed her and hung her out to dry in front of Congress, because very loyal person he was. Again, it just it keeps coming back to this for me. It's not enough that our labor regulations have been slashed to the bone. It's not enough that workers are exposed to immense amounts of danger, to immense amounts of abuse and harassment from their employers, from everybody around them. This is literally just running up the score. This is just making it clear, not only do we hate you, not only are we going to make it apparent how much we hate you, we're going to keep making it apparent. We're going to make it so much worse on you because we can. And what are you going to do about it?
2: But this is all good stuff because the stock market is doing great. (sighs) <sighs> There's two economies. There's one for rich people and one for not rich mm-hmm. people. Right.
1: I I think I've seen the statistic where like half the population owns nothing in the stock market and mm-hmm. probably another 30% owns very little. Like yeah.
3: Their retirement. Yeah. Their they're 403B or 401K or whatever.
1: Yeah. yeah that,
3: that's all they own and that's what they're depending on. And if your rate of return crashes from one quarter to the next, you're hosed and that's on you.
1: So, when Trump touts the stock market, he's touting a metric that doesn't necessarily reflect on the success of average people. The average person, again, holds nothing in that. There's a reason, there's a disconnect between the experiences of workers as a whole and This shiny picture of the economy that Trump is selling.
3: Because a rising tide lifts all boats, right? That's what it's supposed to do. That money's supposed to come down to us somehow. This tide has
1: risen on the backs of so many people's boats. And
3: drowned them. It's this idea, yet again, that if we just let these people do Mm -hmm. their thing, if we just let chains of the world, major corporations, do whatever they want to do, they will voluntarily choose to abide by some code of honor that we've never seen, mm-hmm. that has never been published anywhere, because it doesn't exist, and they'll treat us right out of the goodness of their hearts somehow.
2: Well, no, I don't think it's that. I think they think the mythical, mystical market will fix it. Like, the invisible would, hand. Yeah, the invisible hand. That's yeah. what they think it is. Can't oh. even
3: change a damn light bulb when they wanted to change the market.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so all this very bad stuff has happened in just 16 months as you had pointed out but there's still more to come listen Yay. more after this break and we'll tell you all the gory details
2: you're listening to punching out on Wayo 104.3 you can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on itunes soundcloud and other podcast apps we are also on facebook and twitter at punching out Weo. now back to the
0: show
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, and joined still by Louise.
2: Hi, haven't gone anywhere.
1: And Noah. I am so angry right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, me too.
1: Noah is angry because we've been talking about the Trump administration's handling of labor issues. And surprise, surprise, they have come down almost universally on the side of businesses and corporations against... Workers against the working class that Trump had claimed he would hold up as president there's a pending Supreme Court decision. It may well have been made by the time this airs in the case of Janice versus asks me and
2: <laughs> I shall ask you a question right I was going to say <laughs> ask
1: me about <laughs> um,
2: ask the, me about labor the case
1: law. pertains to public sector unions, and whether they can require people who are represented by them to pay dues, and it's expected, almost for certain, that the Supreme Court will rule on the side of this Janus and say that unions are not allowed to require members to pay dues, because because those dues go towards political donations, and the logic goes, they constitute a compelled speech. If you are requiring people to pay dues, that will eventually go towards Political causes.
3: So the snappy summary of what...
1: Janus case.
3: Yes, the perceived outcome of the Janus case is, is something like right-to-work for public sector unions. Right-to-work laws already forbid private sector unions in the states where they obtain from requiring non-members to pay dues. Mm -hmm. And and now, apparently, we're just going to put all public sector workers through that.
2: (laughs) Neat.
1: And effectively, what this will do is it will limit the ability of public sector unions to get the money that they use to do all the things they do, whether that's protecting Mm -hmm. workers or donating to candidates, as we had said. And it's a real strike at the blow of those unions, at their power, and also at the power of... The Democratic Party, who is a big beneficiary of public sector unions' money, yeah, it's
2: <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's basically that. Like you know, there's there's a lot of anti-union rhetoric in this country. I think less so in the past year mm-hmm. than there has been in a long time, at least in my lifetime,
1: because we've seen the strikes in West Virginia and exactly. countless other states now. Mm-hmm. From exactly.
2: Um, so the fact that this this case is almost certainly going to be decided against the public service unions is really depressing because teachers unions and, mm-hmm. and firefighter unions, these are like the really strong, robust unions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these industries basically are, are like the last bastion of actual worker strength mm-hmm. is discouraging because it means this is not going to be the case for very much longer. Yeah.
3: And, and even if you want to put your competitive free market hat on for a second, which <laughs> I don't, but, it's a good hat. Um, you know, think like Neil search for a it's sec a, here. It's a
1: tricorn. <clears throat>
3: yes. <laughs>
2: Definitely. If
3: you want to try putting that hat on for a second, the reason non-union jobs in certain industries might be good jobs, might offer competitive wages, might offer decent benefits, is because there are unionized jobs in those same industries. Yeah. Now, I'm a non-union educator. Yeah. And the only reason, and this has been explicitly told to me. The only reason that we have the benefits that we have and that we have the salary ranges that we have is because teachers unions in this county are so strong that they've been able to push through salary increases. They've been able to push through good benefits for their teachers, and they've been able to secure the money to do that. Yeah. And this would basically annihilate all of that with the stroke of a particularly
1: arrogant pen. Yeah. So in that case, a rising labor tide does lift all boats. It really does. Mm-hmm. And
2: I don't think, like, that's an excellent point that I hadn't really thought of before. But, for example, my my parents, my dad works in the oil industry. He makes a pretty good money. He's not unionized. But the people working in the oil fields are,
0: mm-hmm. they're
2: unionized. And the people on the rigs and everything, they all have unions. Um, that's an excellent point that he, I don't think has ever said enough that the strength of one union is not the the failures of others or it doesn't hurt anybody else. Unions are kind of cool in that they aren't zero sum.
3: Right. They're force multipliers to use yeah. a, a military term. They they not only make things better for their workers, but by forcing other but by letting other companies know, hey, conditions can be better, salaries can be better. Yeah. That is one of the few moments where you do get workers who will might vote with their feet if they see a good union job.
2: Yeah.
1: I would like to note also that the reason public sector unions have made it this far is because of Antonine Scalia's death. There was a case very similar to this one a couple of years ago that ended in a 4-4 deadlock that had Antonine Scalia been on the court, likely would have seen a similarly huge blow to public sector unions and their power.
3: That That's interesting because weren't we talking about how Supreme Court decisions are kind of few and far between and they're kind of difficult to bring before the court? Mm-hmm. And how could possibly two very similar cases that would have stricken very similar blows at the power of public sector unions, how could they have come up in two successive years? That quickly?
1: Well, they've been funded by the sorts of people you would expect to fund anti-labor cases. A right to work coalition, I think it's called. There are these conservative free market groups that have made it their cause to undermine the power of labor by any means necessary. Legal, legislatively, through the courts, what have you. So, in other words.
2: Bullying.
3: Yeah.
1: That's what it is. Running up the score.
3: Bullying. Mm-hmm. You know, blowouts. That's what it really is. They're not interested, to go back to the thing about being impartial, because it does tie together both these juridical decisions that we're talking about, but also this appearance of an impartial workplace that is fair and just. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're quite happy to stamp on your face forever. They, they know full well that not only are they winning, but that they intend to make that victory as... Complete. Yes
1: that's the reward for it. So how do we make it less permanent? How do we, as the side currently being blown out, how do we recover from this? If public sector unions are going to be gutted, if all these other things are happening as a result of the Department of Labor under the Trump administration and Congress and all these other branches of power, how do we as workers recover?
3: Stop playing the game. (laughs) or at least stop playing the game by their rules. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, instead of relying on the Department of Labor to be under the control of some philosopher king, Mm -hmm. um, actually, and and instead of relying on the Supreme Court to ever make a decision that would Mm -hmm. benefit workers, we have to build from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. We have to build workplaces that are responsive and democratic, that represent their workers first, and, well, ideally, their owners never, because (laughs) there shouldn't be any. But hopefully, instead of fighting this in the courts and in the federal bureaucracy, the idea is that if we create workplaces, if we create a culture where labor is held in much higher regard, where the rights of workers are held in the primary position rather than in the ultimate, maybe these decisions would never come to pass. Or if they did, they would be fought so much more heartily than they currently are.
0: Yeah
1: think um to expand on that it would be a big mistake to just sort of wait until 2020 hope that democrats will regain power and then expect them to do all the things that need to be done because there's a lot of things that need to be done and even some of the things that they would like to do will not happen over just in four Mm -hmm. years time to say nothing of the things we would like to happen
3: right Well, that's the thing. The Democratic Party has been so good and I think has proven that it's so good at arguing with itself over the past eight years before this administration took power that they couldn't even do what the Trump administration has done in these 16 months.
1: I think one concrete example of that is card check. Uh, Obama had been elected in his campaign talking about card check, which would allow Unions to be formed on the basis of a simple card check election rather than an NLRB vote that companies have a lot more sway over, I think Mm -hmm. we can say. And then Democrats gained power and they spent two years redesigning Obamacare until it was what it is today, which is not what it needs to be. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and, you know, he was elected on – The strength of statements like you know if you if you feel the need to pick it what was it uh let me know and i'll bring my comfortable shoes Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: this is and then nothing came of that
3: absolutely nothing we've seen in the last year we have seen labor organizations realize and devote themselves to struggle in a way that they really haven't in in a while i think in general what you're seeing is just people are thinking big again Mm -hmm. people are Mm -hmm. admitting that things like symbolism and what does a visibility, matter, mm-hmm. that if you can show your commitment to something, if you can prove that you're willing to stand up for it in public, those things have power to them. Yeah. Instead of treating everything as like, this is the end of history, and we're just kind of tweaking around the edges to just get it 100% right, people are finally admitting that, no, this is a moment where we have power over it. We mm-hmm. can pull these levers. We can change the course yeah. of human history here.
1: Yeah. That's a... <clears throat> positive note to end on for this show which has been very bleak at times i'm ryan
2: i'm lou
3: i'm noah
1: this is punching out
3: don't be neil gorsuch
0: you've been listening to punching out you can find us on facebook and on twitter at punching out Rayo.